Hey everybody, this is Jim from faithtestedbyfire.com, and you are listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. Hey everyone, this is Jim. Thanks for joining me for the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. And this is the podcast where we talk about overcoming the test challenges of life and how we deal with these different things from a scriptural standpoint, and not just talking about it from theology or from a theological standpoint, but looking at the Bible, looking at the scriptures, looking at the promises of God, looking at the place that God the Father, uh, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, as individuals and yet um, together as one, how they interact with us in our life and as we face these different challenges. So, you know, the Bible says that God is a spirit, and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So your inner man, the real you on the inside, the Bible refers to in some places as the hidden man of the heart. That's the real you. And and just to, uh, a quick analogy or a quick um, insight into, um, I don't want to call it duality, but, you know, you, you live in this body and, and you have a brain. It's like a computer. And sometimes you find yourself in your heart at odds with what you're thinking. In other words, you're thinking about doubtful or fearful things, and you don't want to be thinking that way because it doesn't make you feel good. And then sometimes in your heart, you want to be giving, but your mind tells you, well, you shouldn't be giving because you don't have enough to give. You can't afford to give. Um, and, and other things and how we deal with situations. You know, part of you wants to tell the truth, and then the other part warns against a backlash against what would happen if all the facts were suddenly put on the table. It could be something minor as hurting somebody's feelings, or it could be something major. And so, you know, the body talks a lot about the war that we have in, on the inside. talks a lot about that. You can read it in Romans chapter uh, 7, where Paul refers to that war that we have as long as we're in this body. And then again, he tells Timothy later on in his life that, you know, that after he's preached to others, he has to keep his own body under. Because we all have urges to do things which are in our self-interest, even if our self-interest hurts other people sometimes, and that's why the world the way is the way it is. But we also have the Spirit of God on the inside of us, moving us and motivating us to do the right things. But today I want to look at these concept of tests and trials and where they come from and the fact that we're in a fallen world. And um, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, how they interact uh, with us in this place that we're in. Because a lot of people just sum things up. They try and oversimplify it and say, well, you know, um, God is almighty, all-powerful, and if something goes wrong in your life, he allows it. And that's really an oversimplification uh, simplification of it. Because when you read the Old Testament, you can find that a lot of things that were happening weren't his will. But you can understand why it happened when you go right back to the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis where God created everything, he hands everything over to Adam, and he says, all this is yours, you know, you, you subdue it, uh, you rule over it, this creation. And from there, I'm sure you know, you're well familiar with the story, the uh, serpent entered into the garden and tempts Eve. Actually, the Bible says that she was deceived, but Adam went willingly. And, uh, and then we see that the whole story changes, you know, from uh, paradise found to paradise lost. You know, they're cast out of the garden, and there's a, a curse out here uh, in the earth. And then we see the stories unfold of uh, mankind's interaction with God. And perhaps no other book, um, like the book of Job, where you can really see um, the place of, of Satan and, 
and how the devil works and, and evil spirits. You know, the Bible mentions them on and off throughout the Old Testament. We see them even clearer in the New Testament, how one of the major parts of Jesus's ministry uh, was casting out devils, casting out spirits. And, um, and, and so not to get into great detail on that, but you know, going back again, you can see where people had choices in the Old Testament. And when they chose God and decided to do what he wanted them to do, they were blessed. And when they chose the other way, they were cursed. And, and again, looking at it that way can be an oversimplification of it. Because when the law entered in, so remember there was, um, we look at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They came after the flood. Uh, Abraham did not have a law. He did not have commandments uh, to obey. So in, in one way we can look at that is he understood what righteousness and unrighteousness is. Everyone does. You're, you're kind of born with that on the inside of you. If you read the uh, book of Romans uh, in the first chapter or so, it says about how those who have the law will be judged by the law and those that don't have it written in their hearts. So you can sear your conscience so that doing the wrong thing doesn't bother you, but it's a process. Do you remember the first time you ever drank alcohol? Maybe that's a bad example, but um, usually um, a teenager or a young person doesn't enjoy the taste. It's something that grows on them. Or, or even something like cigarettes. You know, if you smoke for the first time, sure, it's not a, that enjoyable of an experience. Um, and so there's a lot of things that are acquired taste. And you look at that uh, in the light of what's right and what's wrong, if you do the same thing that's wrong over and over again, then you kind of sear your conscience or your conscience becomes dead uh, to that thing. Uh, one, uh, really, uh, one dramatic way we can look at that, one dramatic instance, I should say, would be when you talk to soldiers who kill somebody for the first time. Now, we're not talking about, you know, shooting from a distance, you never see the person, but when you actually see it, when you hear about soldiers that were involved in, in combat and how deeply the first time they ever kill somebody, how it affects them. So if you've never heard the interviews before, I'm sure you've seen it illustrated in, in numerous movies and things like that, but it has a deep effect on a person. But when it happens again and again and again, then it no longer has that effect, but it kind of haunts them. And so uh, righteousness and unrighteousness kind of work the same way. But anyway, I'm, I'm putting all this out there because when you look at the book of Job, you can see how uh, the devil, it says, goes about to and fro in the earth. He comes and presents himself uh, before God on a day. Now, we don't know if this was something that happens in what we would interpret as once a month or once a year or once every several years. or We, we don't know exactly how that works. So, I mean, we can surmise it, but it's really kind of irrelevant. There was just a certain day that he was there, and I would imagine he had to be there, right? Because I guess if it was left up to him, he wouldn't be there. So, uh, especially being that he was cast out. And uh, he, basically, God presents Job to him as a righteous man, and the devil's response is, does he fear you for nothing? You know, the only reason why he's serving you is because you've blessed him. Now, here is where a lot of scholars, pastors, preachers, teachers get divided. Because some say that, um, you know, God put everything into Satan's hands and said that you could test him 
but you couldn't take his life. And so others say that the words, behold, everything he has is within your hand, as it's originally written in the King James Version, is saying, look and see, there may be a hedge around him, but his things are already in your hand. And then it goes on to say, when after everything befalls him, that Job makes this statement. He said, the thing which I greatly feared has come upon me. Right. So if you take a simple, a simplified view of that story, then you would say, well, God simply allowed the devil to test him. And then when you look at that, there's some things that, well, upon closer examination, maybe they bother you a little bit. I know they did me, but think about this for a minute. Um, Job lost his children um, during that test, not just his possessions. And so, you know, imagine um, if God killed or allowed to be killed um, your son or your daughter or, or all of your children, then, you know, that brings up another question about you know, the nature of God. But if they were already in the devil's hands to be killed, he just didn't recognize it yet. In other words, the King James Version saying, behold, actually means take a closer look and see. Everything that he has is within your power. Only do not kill him. We can go back and see that Job made the statement that he made sacrifices and offerings for his children all the time because he was afraid that they might be sinning against God. Now, an interesting uh, story, a contemporary look at this principle. Now, I'm not going to argue it either way. I, because I think you need to come to your own conclusions. Obviously, by what I'm going to say next, you'll understand where I'm coming from. But uh, recently I heard the story about a surgeon, and his wife actually uh, videotaped this. This was back in the late 90s, so it was about 20 years ago. And I forgot the type of uh, cancer that he had, but it basically entered his lymph nodes. And there's videotapes of him and... and he has like these lumps under his neck on both sides. It almost looks like he has one of those cushions, you know, that people would wear on an airplane sometimes so you don't your head doesn't fall back. It kind of rests either on one of the sides or on the back, one of those. His whole neck was blown up like that. And his arms, under his armpits, he had these tumors that were so big his arms couldn't even fall by his side. And then around his stomach and chest, just filled with cancer. And uh, they were doing this because they believed in healing and they believed that, um, you know, God was going to heal him. And it kept getting worse and worse and worse. And he said in the video that you could put your thumb and your, and your uh, forefinger around his upper arm. That's how much weight he had lost. And a lot of the weight uh, was the actual cancer itself in the body creating this. And I mean, it was just horrific to look at. It really was. And it got even worse. They said after a while, they stopped uh, doing the, the, um, the videotaping of this. And I looked at that, and, and he goes to the story and how the miraculous healing finally happened. And then he goes back, and the guy that was interviewing him said, you know, why do you think this happened? And he said, honestly, he said, when I was in medical school years before, he said, when we got into the part about cancer, he said there were two types of cancer that they were taught was basically the worst of all, meaning the symptoms and everything that was happening in the body. They, they, those two were considered the worst kind that a person could suffer. And when he heard that, so I imagine he would have been in his 20s 
He was in medical school, maybe late 20s, maybe even early 30s. In this video, obviously, he's in his late 40s, somewhere along that line. So between the time he heard that and the time that it actually happened in his body was, let's say, roughly 20 years later. But he said he feared that a fear of that kind of cancer began to plague him of those two types of cancer. From that moment forward, from when he heard it, he said it was like fear entered into him. Now, isn't that interesting that Job said, you know, the thing which I greatly feared has come upon me. Well, there's, there's fears and there's great fears. Great fears are almost like phobias. And if you notice, again, in reading through the book of Job, it says in the beginning that he made offerings constantly on behalf of his sons and daughters because he was afraid they might be sinning against God. And, and actually they were. Well, I guess we don't know for sure, but it says, you know, they were celebrating, making merry, and, and you know, before disaster struck and killed everybody. So a, a, a fear and a great fear are two different things. You could tell it was a great fear on, upon second look when you see that he made these offerings continuously, right? So if you're afraid of someone breaking into your home, there's certain things you will do continuously. You know, you'd keep on top of those things to avoid that event happening. So maybe you'd always check the locks. Maybe even when you left your house, you'd go back and check the locks. Maybe you'd put a security system in there. Maybe every time, um, you know, the, the outside light went on, instead of assuming it was an animal, you assumed it was a person, and so you got up and took a look. In other words, there would be like something you do. Why? Because if it's something you greatly fear, it takes up a lot of your thought life. And when something that takes up a lot of your thought life is negative, it's tormenting. So fear is actually faith in something bad happening, right? Or at least there's a good chance. Now, you can see there's different levels of fear. But anyway, uh, so as I started reading this, and we're talking about years ago, I started thinking that, okay, obviously if the first interpretation of the book of Job was, well, God just said, uh, go ahead, you can test him, and I'll show you that he's faithful to me and that his heart is uh, for me, not you, for good reason, that he'll praise me, worship me, serve me no matter what happens. And, you know, God was right. But if that was the case, then all Satan would have had to have done is every time he wanted to kill somebody or destroy somebody's life, he just used the same argument he used with Job. So in other words, he could come on, on your behalf and say, and the only reason why you're doing anything is uh, in, that's positive, that's righteous, the only reason why you are turned your life over to Jesus is because of these blessings. But if you took these things away, they would curse you too. Right? And that would be like a back door that he could use to just kill off a whole bunch of people. <laughs> but obviously he's not allowed to do that. If you think, if he was allowed to do whatever he wanted to do, wouldn't the human race have been wiped out a long time ago? So, you know, there's two extremes to it. One extreme says that um, God is running everything. The other extreme is saying that the devil's running everything. Because obviously he wasn't or else he would have killed Job. So we have these two extremes that people go into on both sides of this argument. But anyway, if you look at um, 2 Chronicles 16.9, this is, this is in the King James Version. Second Chronicles 16.9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. So this is under the Old Testament. You think it's still happening now under the new one? <laughs> of course. 
right? To show himself strong, to show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. So again, is that, would that be true today? Obviously, right? Now we have a new and better covenant established upon better promises. So I look at it this way. The new covenant has all the good things that the old covenant had, plus a lot of other good things. Because if it was missing anything, then you could argue whether it was a better covenant established upon better promises. So if healing was, was in the old covenant, like scriptures like Exodus 15, 26, where it says, I am the Lord that healeth thee, and he changes not. Or um, Psalm 103.3, that says, Bless the Lord, all my soul, uh, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities and heals all your diseases. If he did those things under the old but didn't, didn't, didn't do them under the new, then we couldn't really say that it's a better covenant with better promises. right? So it has all of, all of the pluses plus more on top of that. That's what it means by better. So this brings up the question, is God in control or is God not in control? And I've come to look at it this way. See, we, we see instances where God reaches out and just helps people. Sometimes they don't even ask for it. And we see other things where he's a little, uh, he seems to be dealing stricter with certain personalities or certain people. So in other words, it's not just a blanket thing. He, he knows us all as individuals. You know, so that it really brings it down to our own individual uh, one-on-one relationship. See, we, th- we, we look at everything as being like a one-on-one relationship from a theological standpoint in the New Testament. Somebody came up to you and said, well, you don't know the sins that I've committed. Uh, God could, would never forgive me. Uh, Jesus would never forgive me. Then people really have no problem. Believers, I'm talking about, saying, it doesn't matter what you've done, you can be forgiven. Right? But when it comes to some other things, there's kind of like a question mark there. And we see some people, it just seems like uh, they get delivered from things quickly, which is like with a snap of the fingers, and other people have to fight the good fight of faith. Why is that? Well, you know, you can look at two sides. Number one, you could say, well, God's in control, so maybe he doesn't want it to come to pass this year. Maybe he wants it to come to pass next year. But if you start thinking that way, it's easy to become resentful because that's kind of like somebody having it within their power to help, but not doing so. Because even the the New Testament itself encourages you when it's in your power to do good, not to withhold your hand. Right, so do you think that God would actually practice what he's preaching, right, to you? Would he withhold his hand when it's in his power to do good? Would that be a righteous or an unrighteous thing to do? I mean, righteous is righteous all the way across the board. There's not like two different standards of righteousness. Think about it, if you think about it that way. But if you take a look at scriptures like um, you might find in the book of James, now, in James uh, 1.13, we'll actually look at one number, uh, James 1.12. It says, Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he is tried, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So if, you, if you're, the word tested, tempted there means tempted, tested, or tried. So you know there's all kinds of temptations, right? Just like there's all kinds of fears. So one kind of fear might be 
the house is burning down. And you actually see the fire, you feel the heat and everything. And, and that's one kind of fear. And so you run out of the house. There's another kind of fear, which is psychological, which isn't physical. And that may, may be that uh, somebody might break into the house tonight. Or there's a strange sound outside. What is that? And you respond to it as though it's as real as the fire. You know, both of them affect you the same way. Well, it's the same thing with tests and trials. So here it's talking about temptation. You know, there's one type of temptation if there's a bag of money sitting in front of you and there's nobody around to look in it, see what's there, and then maybe look around and walk off with it. That's one type of that's one type of temptation. There's another type of temptation to plan a bank robbery. See, both involve money, but one is more psychological. It's happening in the head. So it says here in this verse, when let no man say when he is tempted that I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither does he tempt any man. So where are those temptations coming from if they're not coming from God? Well, one, they could be coming from your nature, or two, as you see in the in the Bible, they could be coming from the devil. When we say the devil, it's just an all-inclusive term, some type of evil force, spirit, um, anything that's not from God, right? Anything that's not of the light, something that's of the darkness. And there, then it says in verse 14, but every man is tempted when he's drawn away after his own lust and enticed. So obviously this is talking about now um, the lust exists within the heart, enticed, and then it talks about, in verse 15, the fruit of that. But the, look what it says in verse 16. Do not err, my beloved brethren, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Now here's the part that I want to focus on. That cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. In other words, there's no gray area. There's no shadows. It's just light. Everything that's good is from God. And so... Uh, the reverse of that, would the reverse of that be true then? Everything that's not good is not from God? And, you know, some people might look at that and then say, well, you know, um, there's for reasons we don't understand, you know, and I can agree with that, but God, you know, allows this evil to happen. If you say allow, look, let's look at that word. If um, if it's within your power to help somebody and you don't help them, let's say, for example, um, somebody's uh, abusing somebody in front of you. It's within your power to stop them, but you decide not to for whatever reason. Right. You, you allow that to happen. Right. If you know something bad is going on, you keep quiet, you allow it to happen. See that that's one kind of allow. Then there's the other kind of allow where, uh, you know, your children, when they grow up and they go out on their own, do you allow them to make their own decisions? Now, if you're there right with them, if your presence is there with them, then obviously, you know, there, there would be certain actions, there would be certain... I, I guess what I'm trying to say here is that um, when we say God is in control, we don't mean it that he's in control in respect that we have no free will. Even Jesus said, when you pray, pray in this way, pray that God's will be done here on earth, even as it is in heaven. So if God's will was automatically done on earth, meaning that he was in control of everything that was going on, 
Why would we have to pray that way? Why would Jesus say pray that way? And a matter of fact, Jesus said the words that he spoke were the same words that he heard from the Father. So that's almost like the Father saying to you and me, pray that my will be done on earth even as it is in heaven. So it's not automatic. Right? So in heaven it's not automatically, on earth it isn't. Why? Well, we, uh, an easy way to look at it is, is that uh, we are living in a fallen creation. Right? Now God's presence is with you through the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, but you still have the same body that you had before. That doesn't change. You still, all things being equal, have the same memories. In some cases, have the same habits. Right? But we're all men of like passion, like it says in the book of James. It says that Elijah was a man of like passions just like us. And that was written by people who were believers under a new and a better covenant. And so I look at it now. Is God in control or is God not in control? Well, to the, to the degree that we can see, everybody agrees your sight is limited. The Bible puts it this way. We see through a glass darkly, but then we'll see face to face. In some situations, you can't see far enough to know where his hand and his abilities begin and yours leave off. And in a lot of cases, it looks like he's not even there at all. That's why it says that we walk by faith and not by sight. That's why the Bible says those who observe lying vanities will forsake their own salvation. And that's why it encourages you, Hebrews 10.36, be followers of them who through faith and perseverance or patience inherit the promises. Same thing in the book of James. It says here to endure temptation. Why? Because there's an opponent here where we, are, where we live in, in the earth, right? God has an adversary. It's kind of like if you were a soldier and you were on the battlefield and you were facing the enemy there would be times of peace. I mean, the bombs and the bullets don't fly 24-7. Right? You go from battle to battle. But, but in, the, in the war in general, the, on, the, on the battlefield, it's not continuous pressure. And uh, I'm just doing a contrast to the fact that you're not in your home. In other words, the soldier isn't home. The soldier goes away from home. The soldier fights the battle on the field. That's kind of like where we're at right now. Is God in control? Yeah, I look at it this way. If you, if God's will is for you, you know, there's different scripture promises that says, honor thy mother and father, that it may be long with you. You know, that your days will be long upon the earth. This is the first scripture with promise. Right, so that, where, where does a long life hinge upon? It hinges upon you honoring your mother and your father. So if you don't, and that's a condition on that promise. So certain things really come down to our, the choices we make and um, our own will, you know, what we decide. Even says in Deuteronomy 28, I set before you blessing and cursing, death and life, therefore choose life that both you and your descendants may live. So now if it appears that God is not in control, then it's easy to become fearful. And I, I imagine that that's the way Job felt. Because if Job felt that God was in control of everything, 
then he wouldn't be fearful about what his children would be doing. He would know that they were in his hands and he would pray for them in faith instead of praying for them out of fear. Do you see what the difference is with that? Now, Hosea 4, 6 puts another uh, truth into this mix, which simply says, God's people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. God's people were destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And so, you know, you may see certain situations now, and maybe you feel frustrated because you think, well, if God's all-powerful, how come he's not moving? Right? So just the question there is doubting the nature of God. I mean, no, it's, it's not, you know, we could look at it and we could blame it all on God or you can blame it all on yourself, you know, and say, well, you know, I just, I don't have that kind of faith. I, I just have doubts. I can't help the doubts that I have. Or I'm trying to fight through them. It can become very easy after a period of time to just want to give up and just take whatever comes. Why? Because it's hard resisting doubts sometimes. That's why Jesus gave plenty of illustrations, all dealing with perseverance. Luke 18.1, men are always to pray and not to faint and not to give up. Hebrews 10.36, like I said earlier, follow them who through faith and patience or faith and perseverance inherit the promises. James 1.4, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and entire wanting nothing doesn't say wanting nothing spiritually or wanting nothing physically. It just says wanting nothing. It takes care of everything. In the book of Philippians, what does it say? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And, and so we see both of these things existing side by side. We see the good, we see the evil. We see the blessing, we see the cursing. We see the times of testing, and we see the times of rest. Right? You look at the ministry of somebody like the Apostle Paul, and you see all of the, the tests and trials he went through trying to get the gospel out there, but through all of them he was delivered. He actually says that the, at the end of his life, he was delivered out of everything. And so, yeah, let me just finish, finish this up just by encouraging you that um, instead of trying to focus on is God allowing this to happen or was it something stupid I did, the, the solution is always goes back to the same thing. There's the promises of God that he left in the Bible for us to have for prosperity, increase, deliverance, healing, peace. There's that. And, you know, just, if you really get down to it, if you think about what Jesus said at the end of the day, right? It's not by power and by might, but it's by his spirit. It's not a matter of willpower. It's not a matter of you keeping the law, right? It, it's, and Jesus is the author and finisher of your faith, Right? The Holy Spirit's with you in your heart. It's a matter of getting your focus off of all of the things that are coming against you and getting your focus onto the one who is there to deliver you. It's getting your 
mind off of the things that create fear and onto the things that create faith. Right? Getting your mind off of the, the, the websites, the news, the um, theories that create doubt, and onto the opposite of that, the things that create faith, whatever that is. It's, it's changing that internal critic you know, that everybody has, that self-talk, moving it over from doubt over into faith and into belief. I'll tell you one thing, it, with, with God, payday may not be every Friday or, or um, every two weeks, but it always comes. It always comes, and I, I have to tell you that if you're counting the days and the minutes, it's, it's worse than, than watching the uh, waiting for water to boil in the pot. You know that old saying that the watched pot never boils? Well, if you're like, counting down the seconds and, and just chomping at the bit to see the end result, it, it'll feel like it's taking forever. Right? But if you start to see it as though it already happened, and, and the only way to do that is to just, instead of rehearsing the problems and the frustrations internally, you have to, you have to re- rehearse the solutions internally. Rehearse the victory internally. Rehearse the overcoming on the inside. Because if you spend like 80% of your time rehearsing the problems, only 20% of your time rehearsing the solutions, guess which one will be more believable? So anyway, I hope that helps you. Uh, This is Jim. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. I hope you got something out of that. Uh, If you want to sign up for updates, you can go to faithtestedbyfire.com. You can sign up there. Every time a new podcast comes out, I will send you an email. If you have any questions, you can contact me there too. Anyway, have a great rest of the day. God bless, and I will talk to you all soon.